Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. Did you say, while in the recruiting station, at any time during those years, that when you see a nigger driving with a white woman, you pull them over? No. Do you recall anyone asking you, if you didn't have a reason to pull them over, what would you do? I don't recall anybody ever asking me that question, sir. Did you ever make the statement that if you needed a reason, you would find one? No. Okay. Next paragraph. Did you say at any time in that recruiting station, in the presence of any female, including Kathleen Bell, that you would like nothing more than to see all niggers gathered together and killed? No. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy, what it is, how it works. Uh, we are so excited. Our broadcast for today, we've been talking about the O.J. Simpson case. We've been reading Jeffrey Tubin's bestseller, The Run of His Life, which is based on the FX series. And uh, he was a consultant for that series as well. It has been Wow, what an experience. I will confess, I've said it uh, very humbly as someone who believed all of my life. Of course, O.J. Simpson was guilty, uh, guilty. Of course, uh, he killed those people and all the rest for all of my life, even though I didn't watch the trial and never invested any time to research until right now. And within, I think, a few weeks, I had pretty comfortably concluded like, wow, I have been wrong all these years and shame on me for not even taking the time for doing some research. Uh, we are so uh, excited today for our broadcast to be able to have. He is labeled the architect of the defense team and in fact has a book that is set to come out. I'm excited to add that to my library after we can finish with old Mr. Tubin's work. Uh, the truth about the O.J. Simpson trial by the architect of the defense uh, even before the O.J. Simpson trial he was super well known his work with the Boston Strangler case and Patty Hearst and Dr. Sam Shepard but Mr. O.J. Simpson seems to have eclipsed all of that we're so excited our guest for this evening Mr. F. Lee Bailey Mr. Bailey you with us sir I am Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your Wednesday evening. We're so excited and looking forward to talking about the uh, 1994 trial with Mr. Simpson. Uh, I heard uh, one exchange, sir, where 
you were talking about this case and you said that you were familiar were ready for Mark Furman because of your time in the military. And you said you'd been around white people who use the same type of language, talk the same type of way. Can you talk about some of the racism that you experienced your time in the military? Well, I went to the military in 1952 to become a naval jet pilot. And this was just before the Supreme Court decided that all of us were equal once again. In Brown against the Board of Education, I lived in North Carolina, and the upheaval that that caused among what I call the white rednecks of the surrounding neighborhood was very substantial. And people were just shocked that they were going to have to treat their African-American co-citizens as human beings. And I, I was taken aback by that. I'm, I'm pleased to say I now live in Georgia many, many years later, and that is not eclipsed, but it's turned around a lot. Wow. What? So I guess were they when you were in the military specifically, where were you stationed when you were in the military, sir? I was in Cherry Point, North Carolina, but I lived uh, in a seaside community 20 miles off the base simply because I didn't want to be locked into that culture to the point where I was unaware of what was going on in the civilian world outside. And I enjoyed it very thoroughly, had a good time, but there isn't any question but what black people were second-hand citizens hmm. in 1955, 54, 5, and 6 when I lived there. And I hadn't seen a lot of that in my life. But once I moved below the Mason-Dixon line, where most military bases are located, uh, I saw far too much. Wow. This would be like the middle of mass resistance, I think, as it was called, where you have lots of white people in like Virginia, North Carolina, even closing down schools in response to Brown v. Board of Education for folks listening in. So just to kind of put all this in historical context, uh, might even come back to the Brown decision later on, uh, I guess, with that as background. So, wow, 40 years after that experience and then going into the OJ Simpson trial after it's done and you win the acquittal, I've heard numerous times where you said you've heard white people who have scolded you, I guess for the past 25 years and said, basically you prostituted yourself to acquit that nigger. Is that true? Well, in with the words exactly. And I'm sorry to say I've heard it coming from fellow lawyers and a couple of judges, and I won't tell you what part of the country they're from. Wow. <laughs> wow. Have you been, I guess you could tell me if it's a, a accurate term, have you been punished, uh, castigated for, because I mean, you've defended lots of folks over your illustrious career. Have you been castigated in this manner for any other case? Um, yes, but not like this. Um, when I represented the Strangler who, in fact, killed 13 women and made no bones about it. I was never unpopular, although the state police did have to throw up a protective uh, group one night when a guy got drunk and brandished an old Colt 44 and said he was going to have to kill me. 
because I was just across the street in the courthouse trying to get the strangler loose again, and he was sure I would do it because I always win my cases. So he was reluctantly going to have to sacrifice himself and uh, blow me away, kind of like Mr. Trump says he could do on Fifth Avenue and get away with. Apart from that, I have not been badly mistreated for representing some people that were unconscionably sick, evil, I mean, all over the spectrum. One of the nicest guys I ever met in my life. Affable, um, I think straightforward and so forth, is O.J. Simpson. And I have people walk up to me and say, well, you know, I know he's guilty. And I said, well, if you're a witness, you really kept quiet about it for a lot of years. And if you're not, you'll probably fall crap. Um, then they say, well, how could you talk to me like that? <laughs> it's very simple. Ignorance is always repugnant. F. Lee Bailey, context of white supremacy. I was one of those folks for a long, long time. Of course he's guilty. Of course he's guilty. He had to kill those people. Uh <laughs> Why is it, before I get to one of the more critical pieces as to why maybe he didn't do it after all, why is it exactly, do you think, the acquittal of O.J. Simpson, why do you think that upset so many white people so intensely and for so many years now, 25 years? Well, uh, for two reasons. First of all, O.J. certainly didn't have it in mind, but when he made that trip, to the cemetery, to his wife's grave with a pistol, talking about blowing his brains out. He really was the sponge. I don't think gave much of a damn about anything else, except that he was totally ruined for life. I think people took that trip as an indication of guilt. Much more important, throughout the trial, in the face of a stark deficiency of evidence the press, most of which was of a low quality, some exceptions, but most of it of a low quality. And I can't miss the tube in that, who frankly does no beans about criminal cases and shouldn't be writing books about them. But I saw him there during the trial and we put up with him. And uh, uh, it, it's just a shame that the press became convinced that there was a mountain of blood evidence, there wasn't even a molehill, that there was this and that and so forth. When I confront people like you used to be, if I may quote Clint Eastwood, who said I ain't that way anymore, uh, as William Money and the Unforgiven, but who used to be convinced that he was guilty, the quickest way to bring him up short is to say, okay, what evidence do you depend on to reach that conclusion. And most of them get in deep water or even mud very quickly. But what bothers me is people don't seem to care whether or not they have any facts in mind. They just know the media said he was guilty. He was going to be convicted. Nobody would listen to me. I said there isn't a chance in the world this jury's going to hook him until the day the jury in 53 minutes after nine months of trial decided there wasn't a case there. So America, as we're seeing happen right now at the very highest level of government, doesn't like to be told it can't have what it wants. 
and it wanted a conviction, it expected a conviction, and the fact that the jury didn't give it a conviction has just been kind of wildly ignored. Oh, wow. I feel like there, there are court cases that bother people that happen pretty regularly uh, where people feel like, eh, I don't know, maybe the jury didn't get this one right. Or maybe even the grant, maybe it doesn't even get the trial and people are upset about that. But this one and with white people, particularly like, what is it exactly that you think pricks white people so much about this, the acquittal of OJ Simpson? Number one, they expected a conviction. Hmm. And like the kid who was disappointed at Christmas because he didn't get a BB gun, as in the Christmas story. Um, Americans are not a terribly mature bunch. They pout like little kids sometimes when they don't get what they want, particularly when it's an area offbeat. In other words, nobody with an opinion on the O.J. Simpson case, pro or con, is going to get punished for it. Now, I get punished for it. Plenty. Uh, the bar came after me. The IRS came after me. Uh, it was an avalanche. And the fact that I am still standing at age 87 with a big iron on my hip for any jerk that wants to go through my gun sights is, I guess, a, an extraordinary exception. I must tell you, I enjoy the hell out of it. <laughs> right on. Well, let me, if I could push back what would your response be to folks who say, hey, there were lots of folks on Mr. Simpson's defense team, uh, Barry Sheck, uh, the late Johnny L. Cochran Jr., Robert Shapiro, uh, Peter Neufeld, uh, Alan Dershowitz, uh, that none of these other folks were punished per se. How is it that they escaped the, the wrath of also helping to get Mr. Simpson off? Well, I think one of the myths, I have an absolute professional duty to shatter right at the outset is that this was a dream team. And number one, I have never been on a dream team, but that's not too surprising since I've never been on any team except this one. I was always lead counsel, um, shouldering the heavy cross and um, decisions to be made. And that's the way I lived. Like any pilot, you depend on your own judgment. And I enjoyed that. I was not sure Johnny Cochran and I wouldn't be oil and water for completely uh, benign reasons. And when it became clear that he was going to take over the case, I sat down with him. I said, look, Johnny, I was worried a lot about OJ until you came along. You're a good lawyer. Uh, I think he's in good hands. If you just be happy if I backed off. I'll go and see if O.J. will agree to it. And he said, not on your life. I want you to stay on the team. The dream pretty much ends with Johnny Cochran, except, of course, and I will confess that he's been my friend for longer than either of us care to remember. Alan Dershowitz is always a class act. He's a brilliant man. I started using him to help me on brief, when he was 28, the youngest professor at Harvard Law in the history of the school. And to this day, he remains a good guy. Check uh, and Neufeld, they were DNA specialists. They were good at what they did. 
Uh, when you bring a New York lawyer into any other courtroom, you've got an experience coming. They play rough and tumble there. I used to call them the gangsters from New York. But I'd hire them again. Uh, Robert Shapiro, I wouldn't hire him for a traffic case. And nobody else on the defense team really had any input that carried any weight, certainly toward the final result. I mean, Gus, you've got to get one thing right through your head. This was a case about a glove. There was no link whatsoever to O.J. Simpson, the murders, except the glove. And in order to accept the glove as evidence against O.J., you had to believe Mark Furman. And I can't imagine asking a yellow cur dog to believe Mark Furman under any circumstances. So the linkage was somewhere between frail and ridiculous. Take out Furman and the glove, and the case has to be dismissed for lack of any ties whatsoever. Because the first element in the defense of any criminal case is opportunity. From there, we go to motive and other factors if you don't have opportunity, you don't have a case. And O.J., quite apart from the glove, because it was found with wet blood, damp blood, still shiny, that eliminated O.J. because it meant the glove had not been out in the air for at least two hours. And O.J. had been out of Los Angeles when the glove was found by six hours and was sitting in Chicago. So there are barriers everywhere to his having done it. There is not one plausible theory of guilt. And I think I've heard them all, and if I haven't, my chief investigator, Pat McKenna, who really is the architect of this case in many ways, between us, we have heard them all. I have not heard a theory that is even plausible, and certainly not one that is sound whereby you could say the evidence points at O.J. There's no reason in the world for this guy who had all the women in the world was perfectly happy with his relationship with his former wife, uh, loved all four of his kids. No reason in the world for him to slaughter his wife in the front yard under bright lights with the dogs barking. And the kids could easily have been looking out the window. People just don't stop and think before they trumpet, as apparently you, you have confessed to doing. I know he did it. You don't know anything if you think you know he did it. Context of white supremacy, F. Lee Bailey. I, did, I just learned that bit of information that, oh, wait a minute, his children were at home with this happen? I hadn't. And even since I just learned that information, I've been asking other people. And I'd say almost, I think it's more than 75% of the folks that I've asked thus far, they didn't know that either, that his children were at home. Just can, Mr. Bailey, if you could speak to the timeline, because that's another component that I had no idea. Just if if we talk yes, about I, when, I will, but, yes, sir. But with Gus, I want to sweeten the pot a little bit on the children. Okay. <clears throat> on the afternoon of the recital, of Sidney Simpson, 
the younger daughter, which O.J. attended with the family. The family went on to the Mezzaluna restaurant, not far from Nicole's house on Bundy, to have dinner. And O.J. dropped by, didn't get invited to have dinner, so he went off and had a hamburger with Cato Kalen and tried to find a girlfriend to play with before the limousine arrived. However, O.J. was introduced at the dinner to a friend of his daughter's named Rachel. Rachel, he was told, was staying overnight. He did not learn that later that evening without much notice, her father had picked her up and taken her home a little before 10 o'clock. So, if O.J. was going to kill his wife in the presence of his two children, he had every reason to think that his neighbor, six-year-old or whatever, Rachel would be looking out the window, too, and be another witness to the crime. Now, to shift to your question, the timeline, the timeline walked him out of there because nobody can be in two places at once. That's what we assume when we open the trial of the case. And so far, we haven't seen that rule fractured by anyone, although cases with identical twin defendants can be disconcerting. Quite apart from that, these murders happen about 10.34 p.m. on June 12, 1994. O.J. was at his front door with his golf clubs and luggage at 10.55 p.m. He lived six miles away. Within that 20-minute period, he had to slaughter his wife catch Ron Goldman arriving totally by accident to return the wife's mother's glasses, which had been left in the Mezzaluna where he was a waiter. He got stabbed about 19 times, put up a fight. The killer probably had defensive wounds. The killer then left the scene for a vehicle which probably was parked on Gretna Green, a directly behind Nicole's condominium and then the killer realized he'd forgotten something and the bloody footprints show that one set of Bruno Magli shoes left the scene then came back then left again now in whatever minutes might be left OJ has got to hide all of the clothing all of the weapons how many there might have been we think maybe two, certainly one knife, clean up, which with blood is very difficult to do, clean up the Bronco, because he's going to be covered with blood when he hops in it to drive it, and it just doesn't work. And the jury very quickly concluded that no matter how you turn this kaleidoscopic case, you always come out with the same deficiency. There wasn't time. So a timeline is an alibi put together by pieces, but probably the strongest defense known to the criminal law. And thank God we had it, because the rampant prejudice that was out there against O.J., I did not correctly fathom. I mean, our jury wasn't subject to it. I don't think they ever felt it. I don't think race 
played any role whatsoever in the case, except they concluded that Mark Furman was a racist more than willing to lie. And that was the only string that held the bag together. What, what's your response uh, for folks who say, hey, the prosecution, they had witnesses who say they heard dogs barking closer to 1015. So this could have maybe happened earlier than 1030, 1040, uh, which would have given him, Mr. Simpson, a little bit more time to commit these murders. Well, I would have to say to that group of ignorant people, you don't do your homework, which is probably causes half the trouble in America and on the planet. If you've done your homework, you'd find out there was one witness, Pablo Fenders, who thought dogs began to bark around 1015, was not sure, but the senior detective on the case, Tom Lang, with an E because there was a witness named Tom Lang, the only difference was the detective had an E on it, in his book, he and fellow chief detective on the case, Philip Van Adder, concluded that they should not have tried to put forward, with no corroboration, Pablo Fenders for a 1015 murder when the evidence was overwhelming that 1034 was correct. Now, these two birds did not go on to explain if that were so, how in the world they could have been entitled to a conviction, but it's in their book, and in my book, um, which right now is simply the truth about the Simpson case, I will put each of them in their place using, as I did with Mark Furman and his tapes, their own words to bury them. Wow. With uh, Mark Furman... And that's so important with the timeline, because that's just that's just logic. There are lots of witnesses about when they heard this, what time that this happened, like just using logic. Do we really think there's enough time to kill two able bodied adults by yourself, clean up, dispose of the knife so that it can never be found of and bloody shoes, bloody clothing never be discovered and then show up, bang, be ready to hop in the limo at 1055 and be affable, chatty, not bloody. Is that possible? I'd say pretty handily. Well, one, additional, one additional fact, Gus, which is, I think, interesting. Uh, OJ, always a glutton for the ladies, and I'm not criticizing him. I'm just saying that's the way OJ was, and he had lots of... Uh, um, people in his OJ fan club. Uh, <clears throat> he was trying to call Paula Barbieri, who was his current squeeze, at 10.12 p.m. <clears throat> or 10.03. There were two phone calls. Mm. But they're right in that area. Now, is the guy who was ready to murder someone a few minutes later calling his girlfriend to see if he can snuggle up with her before he gets on the airplane. Of course, unbeknownst to him at the time, she was in Las Vegas spending the night with uh, Michael Bolton. And I think that her book, which just came out, 
probably recites that fact. It was never an issue. But that's the last phone call O.J. made on his phone before he went to Chicago. And you don't normally call a girlfriend to try to uh, get chummy and then 10, 12 minutes later go in emergency uh, rage without some kind of provocation. There was no evidence of any provocation here. O.J.'s at the Venice Luna restaurant. O.J.'s with Kevin at the Burger King. And O.J.'s getting in a limousine. All completely relaxed unremarkable events. Mm. I would agree. Even even without the phone call, I tend to think just going to McDonald's doesn't exactly strike me as the preface to homicide, but, you know, I was wrong all these years, so I'm, that, I'm still learning. I'm going to read your book and keep reading. Uh, speaking, everybody wrote a book here, including Mr. Furman, uh, and you... <laughs> The whitewashing of Mark Furman has been extraordinary over the last 25 years, like in just researching the case and learning like, wow, the only person who was convicted related to the criminal case, the people V.O.J. Simpson is Mark Furman. <laughs> he's the only person and he's got like a totally. And I, 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 take, I take a good slug of credit for that. <clears throat> Gus, because in my career, which now goes back to 1954, when I first stepped into a courtroom to try a case as chief counsel as a shaved tail Marine lieutenant, age 21, um, there are a few things in the world I have ever done of which I am as proud as dismantling that SOB in front of the world and letting some white people see what a racist cop in Los Angeles looks like. It, I can only conclude it's at least my perspective. It seems that way more white people are upset with OJ Simpson than Mark Furman. Like the New York times, they had that big piece that came out in 1996. This is a year after conviction behind the badge. And they say, The public image of Mr. Furman is simplistic. Federal, state, and local investigators are beginning to conclude there is little evidence Mr. Furman committed the criminal acts of violence and misconduct he boasted about on the notorious tapes he made with a screenwriter and interviews with more than 40 of Mr. Furman's colleagues, friends, and critics, as well as a review of confidential police documents, suggest that many of the lurid stories the detective recounted on the tapes were simply braggadocia by an egotistical but troubled man. In the end, those closest to Mr. Furman say the trial of the century may have crumbled in part because of one man's fantasy life and because prosecutors ignored warning signs about Mr. Furman. They finished just saying, oh, speaking of Clint Eastwood, the last part they say, but as the emotions of the trial fade, the portrait that is emerging of Mark Furman is that of a complex paradoxical man he could spew racist invective yet he counted blacks among his close friends he boasted of violent exploits as a marine in vietnam yet the closest he got to the ground war there was aboard a ship in south china sea he cultivated a reputation as a macho officer in the clint eastwood dirty hairy mold yet his true ambition was to be an artist 
and he was sometimes complimented by suspects for treating them with courtesy. Like, I don't think we we think of Mark Furman as some spewing racist. I think there's been this kind of, oh, we just got it all wrong. He made all that stuff up and he didn't even mean what he said on the tapes. What do you make of this? Well, I think the New York Times, which can be a venerable newspaper, I've tilted with them and been covered by them for 60 years, really blew it. I mean, obviously, the author that they assigned to this story had a whitewash investigation. What the hell are the LAPD going to say? All these stories are true, and they never prosecuted anyone for it? No, it's it's like we got a couple of senators running for a Senate here in Georgia, which will tilt the balance of power for the next four years. If both Democrats get in, it's a, it's a barely uh, Democratic-controlled Washington at the Senate level. If one of them doesn't get in, they've got 51 to 49. It could be a mess, but... Both of the Democrat and Republican senators heard about the coronavirus based on confidential data, dumped their stock while the ignorant public held onto its, and saved a lot of money. Now that that's a felony. Insider trading is a felony, and people go to jail for it every year. Yet these people say, "Oh, we've been cleared by our ethics people." Who are the ethics people? Senators who are Republicans. And the fact that Mark Furman was investigated as to these incidents is absolute BS. Do you think for one minute, if the LAPD, with its miserable record of human rights ignorance, emblazoned in the Rodney King case, but still President OJ's case, do you think for one minute, if they found out that that Berman's stories were true, would publish that fact and admit it that their cops were even allowed to talk this way? Bear in mind, after Furman was diagnosed by their psychiatrist and psychologist as a malingerer, a liar, a vicious SOB, and some other bad things, because they were looking for a pension at age 36, they denied the pension and promoted him to detective. If ever there was a sick organization, it was the LAPD that endorsed that promotion. Do you think the the evidence suggests that Mr. Furman did plant that glove at O.J. Simpson's property? I think the evidence, if you look at it objectively, is almost overwhelming. First, apply some logic. As you said, you've been good enough to do lately in the Simpson case, and I herald your decision. Logic says that that glove did not walk from Bundy to Rockingham, where O.J. lived. Logic also says that it didn't fly there. Somebody moved it, since there's no question that it was once a part of the murder scene and a match with a left-handed glove which is found there. So, if somebody put it there, who might have done it? Well, O.J. might have done it, except that he couldn't. For this reason, when Furman discovered, unquote, the glove, 
It still was damp with blood. I replicated this whole event exactly one year later with about the same conditions of humidity uh, and temperature at the same place where the glove was found. And the only way we could get the glove to have wet blood was to put it in the plastic bag up until we took it out and dropped it there. If you remember, Berman got there between five and six. Number two, he went alone to investigate what he said was Kalen's thump, thump, thump. Cato Kalen did mention a thump, 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 but at 10.40 p.m. That couldn't have been O.J. if he was guilty because murder was in progress starting at 10.34. So, and, and O.J. got in the limousine right at about 11 and went to the airport. Therefore, take O.J. out. Now, who else could have dropped it there? Well, I guess the killers, if they were crazy, could have taken one glove from the scene, run the risk of getting caught, identified, or even spotted by taking it to O.J.'s house, somehow getting on the premises, and putting it in an alley next to the side of his house, except why? If O.J. had a perfect alibi, for all they do, that would incriminate him. It might distract the police and cause them to investigate him very thoroughly. Third possibility is that Mark Furman, who had the biggest case of his career, by his own admission, learned that he'd been kicked off the case and replaced by two senior guys. Um, he wanted, and his record shows, he was always looking for the big arrest. He wanted to stay in that case, and he knew how he could do it. All he had to do was become a witness. You can change cops, but you can't change witnesses. Furthermore, Mark Furman admitted, in a sense, that the glove was planted in this way. On July 29th, after New York and New Yorker magazines had publicized the fact that although it wasn't brought out in the preliminary hearing that spanned June and July 4th, uh, uh, Furman was, in fact, a very racist fellow, according to the papers in his lawsuit. And so his friend, Laura McKinney, who made the tapes, said to him, do you think this is going to get you thrown out? because they won't want you as a witness anymore. And Furman said, and this is critical, because no one had tested the glove on July 29th, wasn't tested till October, no one competent to say so could even know what type it was. Furman said, no, no. He said, this is a case about a glove. I am the glove. Without the glove, the case goes bye-bye. He knew before the testing that on that glove, the right hand of the glove, was the blood residue of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. The only way he could have known that is if he took the glove from Bundy, as he surely did, and planted it in Rockingham, and then, in violation of every police protocol taught, walked his fellow detectives three of them out one at a time to observe the glove. 
to cement it in their memories and to cement his place in the case. And he knew they were stuck with him. And oh, were they stuck. Do you think the prosecution, because many folks have said over the years, the prosecution could have secured a guilty verdict if they had not put Mark Furman on the stand. They could have picked other officers and folks to testify and got the glove and evidence and all that. Just not don't use Mark Furman. OJ would have been convicted. Would that have been possible? Let me try. Let me tell you, they explored that possibility in every way. Six ways to Sunday because they did not want to have to put that guy on the stand and admit right at the moment they put him up by reading a letter from a woman that he had offended that he used the term nigger a lot, which is a repugnant word. It used to be commonplace when I was a kid, although I always found it to be repugnant, but uh, it, it just became part of the lexicon, and Mark Furman couldn't get a sentence out without saying it. So, how could they have gotten a glove in without Furman? Absolutely not. There was no way, there was no person who could say, I found this glove here, and it could not be available to say, but I didn't put it there, which he couldn't have said. very logically if he weren't on the witness stand. So he was the linchpin of the case what the, we called in law school the Sinai Quanon without which there is nothing. And he knew it and he said so in his own voice. And I say to myself what in the world do these redneck assholes need when the guy admits that he planted the glove and they can't see it because they don't have the intelligence. But I've got to admit, they're strong, they're out there, and I'm hoping that this book, for those who manage to secure a copy, will beat some sense into their heads, because they haven't used it since. The Truth About the O.J. Simpson Trial by the Architect of the Defense, F. Lee Bailey. Uh, There's been... Lots of talk about the jury, even for the past 25 years and condemning them, saying that they were racist. Uh, Nine black jurors eventually uh, on the trial, 10 of them non-white, two white females uh, on the jury of 12. Uh, In her book, Marsha Clark, who was the prosecuting attorney in this case, uh, she says, and this is in October 94. So there's you all were still constructing the jury at this point. She says, I'd like to see us abolish the jury system, why leave the fate of our nation in the hands of these moon rocks? Moon rocks. That's the term that she used yeah. to describe the jury. Yes, your, your thoughts? Well, Marcia Clark, Marcia Clark does this a threat to humanity, particularly since she's got a license to practice law. Fortunately, she did such a bad job with this case, and I'm not saying a good lawyer could have won it, that she hasn't tried many cases since. Nobody's wanted to hire her. And Chris Arden was brought in as Johnny Cochran complained at the last minute because it turned out that the jury box was filled with minorities. Now, to get to the reality 
of life and to cast aside the insulting remarks, many of them made by the press and many by responsible people, that this jury was racist-motivated. Once again, we have the ignoramuses of America who haven't done their homework. Three of the jurors wrote a book. They explained everything they did, everything they saw, much less than we saw on TV or live in the courtroom, and why they could not get around the fact that O.J. had no opportunity, which is the basis on which they decided the case. A couple of little inside stories, uh, which I think humanized the jury. It was a good jury. I mean, anybody that wants to blame the result in the O.J. case on the jury is grasping for straws, uncharitable, and frankly, a white supremacist. I want nothing to do with them. The jury uh, <clears throat> did not, I don't think, ever consider race except for the fact that Mark Furman was to them before it was shown in cross-examining him um, that he was, in fact, a racist. And I, I think that the words of the poor lady of the jury, who was an elegant woman, by the way, and I think of her church, said to my chief investigator at a Christmas party, which was attended by 10 jurors in Johnny Cochran's office, the Christmas after the acquittal, which was October 3rd, 1995. Uh, everybody thought that the jury had mesmerized Johnny Cochran. They liked him a lot. Everybody likes Johnny Cochran. But they were really offended by his little act with, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. And putting on the blue hat, found at the scene during his final argument. I love Johnny Cochran. He's one of the best friends I ever had it, loved trying a case with him. Those tactics just didn't win the day. Well, my investigator uh, couldn't restrain himself, and he said, well, uh, what did you people think of Mr. Bailey? She said, we loved Mr. Bailey, but we didn't need Mr. Bailey. And then Pat said, why is that? She said, we knew Furman was a liar the minute he opened his mouth. So they didn't have to have me show them. And I took that as a strong jury, independently minded. They knew where the focus was going to be in this case. They knew who they were going to have to believe uh, in order to get across that chasm from not guilty to guilty. And their eyes were riveted on Mark Furman, who I must tell you at first blush, tall, handsome, fair-haired, uh, until he begins to spew, as I heard on the tapes, when he gave his opinion, by the way, not just of black people. He hated Jews, every bit as much, and said so. Here's a man who had a little Christmas tree in his house. The only ornaments on it were stainless steel swastika. How did a sicko like that ever get a badge in the LAPD? And how many more are out there? Somebody protected him. That means at least one. Context of white supremacy. 
Uh, I see we had some folks who dialed in. I just wanted to get a quick word from you, uh, Mr. Bailey, on <clears throat> Christopher Darden. Uh, you just mentioned him, black male. He was a uh, co-prosecutor with Marsha Clark in this case. Uh, everybody wrote a book. Uh, we're getting yours as well. Uh, in Darden's book, In Contempt, uh, he talks about a, a particular exchange with the two of you. He says uh, that you told him, we're going to kick your asses. He responds, I turned to see F. Lee Bailey grinning at me. Pardon me. We're going to kick your asses. You mean figuratively, I hope. He just stood there, that smug look on his jolly face. Well, I said, be sure and bring some help. That was the F. Lee Bailey I had come to know. A foul-mouthed, arrogant SOB. Nothing but an attack dog waiting ignoring the rest of the trial taking sips from a tiny thermos Bailey hated me I thought wow that's so direct what was your relationship with Mr. Darden and did you hate him no I didn't and he made that up uh, you know Christopher Darden is a guy who can't find work in the trial court I don't know if anybody's hired him since this case he was brought in after the jury was impaneled to put a black person at the prosecution table. Johnny Cochran, and I don't say that lightly, brought a motion to have him excluded as the prosecution's attempted tokenism, and Judge Ito let him say. But I'll tell you about Christopher Darden's story that he can't deny, and it shows him to be much too much of a sucker to be out there practicing law. When the right-handed glove was put on the evidence table, frankly, we at the defense had not seen it, not paid enough attention to it, might have been able to blow the case out right there if we had been prepared to show that the interior, the lining of the glove, didn't have any DNA from OJ. But I took a look at it. I've got a size 9 hand, pretty average for a guy five, nine, or thereabouts. And I thought, that's too small for me. And OJ's hands are huge. He didn't go all those years in the NFL without fumbling more than once or twice because he was a pansy. He could get his hands right around the football. Remind me a little bit of my hero, Sweetwater Clifton, and the Harlem Globetrotters. Sweetwater could dribble a ball without ever letting it go. O.J. was kind of the same way, so I said to myself, myself, these people already know that glove won't fit O.J. Let's see if we can bring it home with a little bit of verve. So it was a recess. The witness was the president of the glove company who really didn't know anything about the case, not a whole lot. I didn't think about his company, but I sidled over to Chris Darden, who had a hot temper and would always take the bait. And Chris would always ask me, because we sat next to each other, after he examined a witness or argued a motion or did virtually anything in the courtroom other than Burke, to give him a grade. And he always suggested I give him an A. And I always gave him a C or a C minus. And we had this little bit of fun rivalry going. So I sidled over to Chris and I said, and I apologize to your listeners, but this is exactly what I said. I said, Chris, you know, you're a good shit, but you've got the balls of a stud field mouse. 
And Darden came out of his seat. Uh, I thought the smoke was coming out of his ears. How could you say such a thing about poor me? Uh, I said, well, if you look at that glove as I'm doing, you know as well as I know that it won't fit O.J. Simpson. So if you don't have the guts to make him try it on, I might. Darden took the bait. The minute Trajito came back in the courtroom, he caught him halfway up the little set of special stairs they had built for him to get to the bench because Trajito was a man of very modest height. And he said, uh, Your Honor, Mr. Bailey just told me something. And this is on the record. And I want the defendant to try on the glove. Nobody saw it coming. Johnny said, You mean in front of the jury? You crazy? And he just said, fine. Well, the rest is history. I left the courtroom. It wasn't my witness. But on the radio on the way home, I heard that the trial had just imploded. And the newsmen were saying for the first time, as the trial had opened, gee, maybe he's going to win. And Darden got canned, rehired. I mean, the stories about what happened to him that night are rampant but it certainly enabled him to make a fool out of himself. And if that was the work of a cruel and arrogant SOB lawyer, well told, my friend, well told. <laughs> F. Lee Bailey, the cows. Uh, let's see, can we now be a question? Uh, let's see, some of our listeners have been studying this for the first time and we're super excited to uh, know you were coming on the program. Do you mind taking a, a question from a caller or two? Fire away, I've been taking questions all my life and asking <laughs> one here and there. I love asking questions. Uh, Red in Ohio, did you have a question for Mr. F. Lee Bailey? Hello, um, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Yes, I can. Uh, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Hello, everyone. Hello, Mr. Baker. Where are you I'll try home, to, um, I'm sorry? Where are you in Ohio? Central Ohio. Central oh. Ohio. Thank okay, you. is that near Mansfield, Columbus? It's near Columbus. <laughs> Okay. The reason I ask is because that's one of my favorite states. Many would say that's where I got my start in the Shepherd case in Cleveland. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead and put your question. I know. It's fine. Um, so I'm trying to make this quick because I'm actually, I actually finished reading uh, Mr. Kubin's book, and now I'm starting on Mark Furman's book. So um, it's really interesting. A lot of the things that you're saying, he contradicts, uh, Mark Furman contradicts in his book, and then also Tubin does too. Uh, so I guess the first thing that I would ask, because in Mark Furman's book, he has a foreword um, by Vincent Bugalosi, and Vincent as far Bugalosi, as like, addressing yeah. his racism, he, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry if I mispronounced the last name, but he was saying that if Furman had done all of the, the racist acts that people assume that he has done, then why weren't there more people, like, especially after the case and he became um, more well-known, how come there weren't people coming out and 
challenging or you know challenging like any case that he was a he was involved in. And what would you say to that? All right, the, the answer is because Furman had been complained of on many occasions, and the LAPD never did anything about it. So a person who might think of coming forward after these tapes were revealed would be very fearful that they were going to turn around and attack him. Kind of the way Mr. Trump attacks everybody who disagrees with him, um, they were prepared to do that on behalf of Furman. And the reason was not uh, strictly, let's say, out of affection. If Furman had been tabbed with a lot of the things he did and civil suits had been filed, it would have cost the LAPD a lot of money, just as the Rodney King case cost them a barrelful because of the poor grade of their police officers. Uh, okay. Before you get to your next um, question, Rick, okay, I just wanted to ask, wasn't there a suit settled which involved Furman allegedly planting evidence on a black suspect during the trial? Did that happen, Mr. Bailey? That's exactly correct. Uh, a fellow named Britton testified that a knife attributed to him when Furman arrested him and shot him a couple of times had been planted. It wasn't his at all. We were going to put Britton on the stand to testify against Furman that he was a liar who planted evidence. And they came around and paid him $100,000 and Judge Ito would let him testify because he had described the cop who shot him at one point as being a redhead, which was pretty flimsy legal ruling. But Judge Ito, I'm sorry to say, who could not very well ignore the fact that he shared a pillow every night with the highest-ranking woman police officer in LAPD, Judge Ito consciously or subconsciously tended to tilt when he could the rulings for the prosecution. Let me hasten to say, Gus, that no lawyer I've ever met was good enough to have won the Simpson case as a prosecutor unless he were up against pretty inexperienced opposition. Not a mountain of evidence. Sorry for interrupting your uh, questions, Red in Ohio. Proceed. Okay. Um, I guess I'll just make this the last question. I know that uh, you have made mention of, like, the glove and how Furman was saying that he didn't plant the glove. And in the book, because um, I'm only about a quarter of the way through in his book, he said it wasn't just the glove. So at the, if I'm not mistaken, at, Rock, at the Rockingham house, he said there was um, some coins that weren't tested at the Bundy house. Because uh, he, he, in his book, he was saying Van Adder and Lang, they weren't actually uh, preserving evidence correctly. And when the, when the Bronco should have been impounded, it, it wasn't so lots of things could have been contaminated and not just by him, but he had said that there were coins there and not all the blood was collected. And then switching over to Tubin's book, he was saying that the prosecution 
didn't even test any of the of the blood evidence. So is that is that true? Do you do you recall like there being lots of blood that may have just been like photographed, but it wasn't actually um, collected? He had also in Furman's book he had made mention of like blood on the bottom like door part of the Bronco on the handle. On now, mind you, this is all the stuff that he found, and he did also mention in his book when he was talking to some of the other detectives. Whenever he would say, "Oh, I found something else," they were like, "Oh, not again." So I kind of wanted to get yeah. your your take on that, and I'll mute my line. Thank you. Well, uh, Red, and I must tell you, the last time I had lunch in downtown Cleveland, I had at a restaurant named Red, and I loved it. So, <clears throat> if the owner is listening tonight, good luck to him. I'll be back. If you look in retrospect, Marcia Clark wrote a book. She blamed it on the detectives for not doing a good job. The detectives wrote a book. They blamed it on her for being incompetent. Herman writes the book. He blames it on everybody for not getting a conviction. And Tubin writes a book telling us what he thinks he heard in the courtroom when he's not busy jollying himself. Jeffrey Tubin is history. And if you put any stock in what he said, go watch the videotape. As OJ said, when he heard about the incident, he said at least Pee Wee Herman rendered the theater. But, you know, we're stuck with, with the people who show up. Thank God for those of you who still love journalism. Linda Deutsch, one of the finest reporters ever to grace the newspapers, covered that trial beginning to end. Whatever Linda said, you can take as gospel, even if you find some of my statements for those of others to be questionable. Wow. Much obliged, uh, Red in Ohio. I wanted to make sure I had to get in. To your knowledge, is the O.J. Simpson criminal trial, is that the first time that the phrase the race card was used? Is that the first time that that phrase was invoked? No, I wrote a book in 1977 called 75 called For the Defense, in which I detailed a case where I personally was a defendant, but I also did the cross-examination. And I caught a racist on the stand. This case was centered in South Carolina. Um, and I had some witnesses that he didn't realize were witnesses until I said, you know, you say you're not a racist, but you've got an employee named Jimmy James. And uh, that's right. And I said, and you call him a nigger every day, don't you? And he looked around and said, oh, my Lord, they've got all the witnesses. He said, yes, I do. And he enjoys it. So this is my second encounter with that word. Wow. No, I mean, the race card, did they did they accuse you of playing in the, the race card in that case, too? Well, the judge called me up to the bench. He said, it's very unfortunate that you raised that. I said, you bet, Judge. Unfortunate for anyone who's hoping for a conviction. And I looked him in the eye like he was dirt. Huh. Wow. Wow. Needless to, needless to say, they didn't get one of we might not be doing this show. <laughs> wow. Be- before I uh, 
let you enjoy the rest of your evening. I wanted to ask the the FX series was so popular and that talk about thinking OJ is guilty, like psh, no doubt about it. He absolutely did it. If you watch the FX series, uh, which is based on Tubin's book, but it seems yeah. like a major point uh, of that 10 episode uh, program is, you know, poor Marsha Clark, she was a victim of sexism. You had all this toxic masculinity. OJ is a spouse abusing killer. And you've got all these males who ridicule her about her, her child care problems. Uh, it's just total toxic masculinity and patriarchy uh, and poor Marsha Clark. Uh, what, what did you make of kind of how it portrayed her? Let me tell you something. Don't ever waste time thinking poor Marsha Clark. She was vicious. She called me a liar in open court. If she'd been male, uh, I might have rearranged her a bit. Uh, she had the vocabulary of a tank commander. And uh, she, I think, sidled up to everybody on the defense team but Robert Shapiro. I know uh, Johnny Cochran's wife almost slugged her one day because she was sidling up to Johnny Cochran. So... Marcia Clark got several million dollars for a book that wasn't worth the paper it was written on. Don't cry for her, Argentina. Wow. The book, uh, The Truth About the O.J. Simpson Trial by the Architect of the Defense. Uh, we will be looking forward to adding that one to the library. I mean, if we started with Jeffrey Tubin, definitely have to get better books uh, on the trial. Uh, it has been a hoot having you on the program, Mr. Bailey. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your uh, Wednesday evening with us. Uh, we will keep reading and we'll be looking out for your book, encouraging other folks to get it as well. Gus, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mr. Bailey. Take excellent care and uh, hopefully we'll be able to speak to you again soon. Indeed. Evening, Mr. Bailey. Thank you so much and take care. Bye-bye now, guys. Context of white supremacy, the architect of the defense team, F. Lee Bailey. Man, oh, man, I would have never thought if you had talked to me in some earlier points in life where I was totally sure O.J. did it. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Like, he is guilty. Uh, I would not have thought like, wow, I'll be talking to someone from the OJ defense team and actually thinking, nah, no way. OJ didn't do it. <laughs> like that would have just sounded crazy. I was even as I was preparing for the program today, I was even thinking like, man, I used to think it was crazy for someone to say that Mark Furman planted a glove on OJ Simpson. I used to think that was absurd. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? I'll give you a quick guide to the future, Gus. Yes, sir. If if my client gets convicted or acquitted by a jury, and I keep talking about the case, that means I think he's innocent because I would not waste my time talking up the case mm. for a guilty person. If he wins, that's a system, but I don't want any part of the after that. Mm. That's and OJ, OJ, I'm very proud to call a good friend. Mm. 
This is for 25 years. That's a good point, too, because you've been you said from from day one, you thought he was innocent. Like at no point you've not wavered. And eh, I don't know about this juice fella. Maybe he did. Too. You said pretty consistently for 25 years. He didn't do it. Sticking to it. The evidence timeline, everything. He absolutely didn't do it. Is that correct? Well, with one exception, you said pretty consistently. The word is absolutely. Mm. Never, never a doubt in my mind. I told the press on the Friday before the Monday verdict, and again that evening as I entered the jail, there's an acquittal, two acquittals in the envelopes. You guys can sit and play games with yourselves and interview each other all night long, but you can't change what's in the envelope. Minutes later, I sat with my client inside the jail to tell him I felt very strongly we had it knocked. He had a grin on his face as wide as a Cheshire cat could ever have. And I said, O.J., apparently you know something good, too, from a different source. He said, you bet your ass. Everybody wants to have their photo taken with me and an autograph because they're telling me they're never going to see me again. And they know what's in the envelope. And they wouldn't be saying that if they didn't know I was going home. Wow. What, that's part of it because the jury deliberated so quickly. You, t- that's how you said part of how you knew, oh, yeah, we got an acquittal. We won this one. People say, see, they didn't even take it seriously. They just went in there and said, oh, we're going to let him go. Uh, you know, he's a black person and we're not going to convict a black person. We're not even going to take the time to dignify the deaths of Nicole Brown Simpson, Ron Goldman. Nah, we're just going to let him go because he's a black person. What, what do you make of that? It's absolute nonsense. Nobody in the jury ever thought that way. If they thought he'd killed his wife, they'd have socked him away for life, which is the most you can get for second degree. But look, the people that don't take the time to do their homework does have the loudest voices at the end of the day, the most empty voices. They're all over the country right now saying that our election was a fraud. Well, the people who are saying that are fraudulent because they know better, except for maybe the guy at the top who is too sick to know that he lost the election. He may think he's won it and he should go with the Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland and enjoy the rest of his days somewhere else. Get the hell out of our hair. <laughs> now, if you think I'm a Republican, you're wrong. If you think I'm a Democrat, you're wrong. If you think I'm a guy who would like to see somebody who knew what he was doing take the helm of government, then you would be right. Hmm. Hmm. What since we I neglected to get this in, you did mention uh, there were two Tom Langs in this case, uh, Detective Lang, uh, the other Tom Lang, who you all were going to bring as a witness. Uh, could you just share about some of his testimony for folks who may have missed out? And since he didn't get to appear at the trial, yeah. Tom Lang, the neighbor, lived probably three doors down the street from Nicole. He got home from a weekend somewhere. 10 o'clock at night, he took his dog out for a walk. As he walked up Bundy Street toward the intersection of Dorothy, right close to Nicole's condo, he saw a white 
Ford F-350 with two guys in the truck and another guy standing out in front of her entrance gate on the sidewalk in what he called a menacing crouch. And Tom Lang was a contractor and a successful one. And uh, so he didn't think much of it. He didn't want his dog. He thought there was going to be trouble of some kind. Didn't want his dog to get caught up in the trouble. So he turned left on Dorothy Street and went a different way. Next day, he looked in the paper and realized that he had seen the woman who had been murdered a short time later. He wrote a letter to us in the defense uh, because O.J. had already been named or as a suspect. He wrote a letter to the police department. He later sat down with his lawyer and gave a Q&A on tape. His testimony was impenetrable. We couldn't use him or O.J. or other critical defense witnesses because we were down to two spare jurors and had we gone to 11 jurors, Marsha Clark would have gotten a mistrial and started everything over again, and we couldn't afford that. We knew we had the case won, and we were out of money big time. That's so important. That's so important. They For years, I've heard that for years, uh, so many folks have complained, particularly white people, and saying that, see, O.J. Simpson just used all this money, and he outspent the prosecution and they just piled up. They had this huge team of lawyers and attorneys and they totally overwhelmed uh, the prosecution. Can you respond to that? People saying that you all had more money and resources. Um, number one, we didn't. OJ, I think had six million money, but Bob Shapiro made another three million from his book written during the trial. Uh, I lost about 550000 in that case. I never got paid. Johnny got some money. Shapiro grabbed most of it, and the expenses were absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we had these, all these guys from New York and Boston flying out there on a regular basis just to have conferences. We should have had Zoom in those days. But, Gus, I've got uh, another call coming in in about three minutes. So I'm going to have to call it a night. It's been my pleasure. I hope to get to talk to you again. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Bailey. Take care. Okay. Be well. Context of white supremacy. Wow. We, uh, I will check out it. I'm trying to read as many books. I've been encouraging, uh, cows listeners. We're reading Jeffrey Tubin's book the run of his life, the people V OJ Simpson. That's tomorrow, 8 PM Eastern, 5 PM Pacific. Uh, we're reading that, but I've said that folks should maybe add this to their counter racist, uh, library in terms of getting lots of books. Uh, Christopher Darden wrote a book and Marsha Clark wrote a, uh, wrote a book. Mark Furman <laughs> wrote a book. Uh, Mr. Bailey's book is coming out. Johnny Cochran, uh, wrote a book, although his doesn't deal as much, uh, with the Simpson trial, but I've said counter racists, attempted counter racists, uh, should be quasi experts, uh, on the OJ Simpson case. You do not want to be a gusty renegade where you don't know anything about the case, uh, and just, oh yeah, he's guilty. Just, you know, I watched the FX series and they said he did it. So, and conversely, you don't want to be a, he didn't do it. 
system of racism like details that way when you bump into folks you can ask questions lots of opportunities to ask questions of white people about this trial like and it's just fascinating it reveals so much about what it means to be white uh even just i had no idea the little snippet that i played if like i said if you'd asked me i just thought mark Furman said nigger and that's about it i had no idea like oh wait a minute this long history of him planting evidence being accused of planting evidence on black people like I said this came out during the trial they have video of a black male saying yeah he planted a knife on me and said I did and they settled you heard Mr. Uh, Bailey give more detail about that like I had no idea him talking to other white people not even victims making accusations Mark Furman talking to other white people and saying, what? A white woman with a black male? That's disgusting. That's a violation of nature. Ugh. <laughs> like, what I had no, I would be mentioning Mark Furman all the time when we do the prayer at the end of the program. It would be Mark Furman when Dylan Storm Roof came up. Uh, I he sounds just like Mark Furman talking about you raping our women. I would have been talking I would have asked Dr. Welsing about Mark Furman. Like, oh my goodness. If you are an attempted counter racist, you should be a quasi expert on the uh OJ Simpson case. Uh and just oh, I didn't even get a chance. I forgot to ask him. I think the OJ Simpson case is the most important case, court case, uh, in US history, easily. He mentioned Brown v. Board of Education. It is widely accepted so-called school segregation is worse now 2020 than it was 65 years ago at the time uh, of the Brown B Brown V board of education decision. So it didn't even accomplish what it was supposed to set out to do. The OJ Simpson trial, just my list. This is what I was going to ask him. The OJ Simpson trial <clears throat> grand jury is dismissed Cato Kalin classified as a hostile witness by the prosecution he was their witness the OJ Simpson trial is the longest jury sequestration in history OJ Simpson trial concluded even though a number of jurors got bumped the final 12 person jury 10 non-white jurors on a double murder trial with two white victims and a black defendant how many times has that happened in U.S. history Uh, what is wildly called the greatest prosecutorial blunder in U.S. history he talked about that with the whole gloves Christopher Darden doesn't fit Uh, one of the greatest traps of a witness that is widely labeled uh, trapping Mark Furman in perjury I did not say nigger uh, perjury by a police officer in a double murder trial. How often does that happen? Uh, this is easily the most wa- uh, most watched live courtroom verdict of all time. Easily, no contest, and it is one of the most watched television events of all time. Over 150 million live. Uh, you had the judge temporarily step down because of his white wife, Cowbell, <laughs> like uh, because she may have lied uh, so that he could take this case. Uh, 
they used the O.J. Simpson trial to exclude black jurors. You have a case that's gone. This is what I was going to ask Mr. Bailey, and I forgot that neglected Gusty. Uh, but they ask, and it's not just in California, in a number of states. Uh, in fact, I have the report right here, and it has a big picture uh, of Mr. F. Lee Bailey standing next to O.J. Simpson uh, at the trial verdict. But they use the O.J. Simpson verdict to exclude potential black jurors. And what they'll do is they'll ask them what their thoughts are on the O.J. Simpson case. And if they agree with it, like, oh, no, we get you out of here. And this is supposed to be a race neutral means of excluding a juror. Right. Uh, and I was going to ask him just his thoughts about that. And if he's aware of uh, any time like uh, them using maybe asking a white person, hey, what are your thoughts on? the beating of Rodney King. Did you think those officers should have been acquitted? Do you think that verdict was correct in 1992 and see what they say or ask him, what do you think about the murder of Trayvon Martin? The murder trial. What do, do you think they got it right? That the murderer of Trayvon Martin should have been acquitted. You think they got it right? Oh, okay. Your honor, we ask that this juror be excused. Thank you for your service. Like, do they do that as a means of excluding potential white jurors? I was going to ask him that one. My bad. Uh, Also, this is all on my list of why the OJ Simpson trial is the most important, most historic trial in U.S. history. Uh, My list continues. Uh, Mr. Bailey is on record as saying it became more difficult for a time to get uh, defendants acquitted after the OJ Simpson trial, I meant to ask him about that too. And then evidence collection, DNA evidence, 11, uh, evidently got better. At least what we've been told after all of the errors in this case, they tried to get better, clean up their act as they say. And you got a wave of TV crime shows that are all about DNA evidence and the such, uh, and the word Edoed, you had judges disallowing cameras in the courtroom after all of this saying they did not want to be, I'm sure the list will continue, but that right there is pretty substantial to have all of that happen in one case. And we're still, we haven't even got to the case in the book yet. Uh, Before I get to folks, if they have any uh, thoughts, I think I I had a massive list of questions to ask. I pretty much got to to almost all of them. I had about five or six left, but I didn't even think I was going to get through half because I had such a big list of uh, questions. I will. My my only other comment will be. I'll check in see if folks have any thoughts that they want to share. Uh, my only other thought will be, man, oh man, we had folks write in and say, how about we have this here victim of racism on the cows who's married to a white person, cowbell. We've had that a lot since I've been saying white guests only. Studying O.J. Simpson and even thinking, hey, maybe we should see if we could get F. Lee Bailey on the program and then, oh, OK, let's do it. And they're saying, hey, it's a victim of racism who's married to a white person. Now, this particular victim in a tragic arrangement, this might be the person to talk to where the idea will be forged to permanently solve the problem. That might be the case. I tend to think that is not, but that could be the case. We've had lots of non-white people who are in tragic arrangements on the program over the years uh, in different parts of the world. 
males, females. We've had white people on the program who are in these around. Like that is a topic we have not neglected. If you were going to ask me, you have the option of having F. Lee Bailey, victim of racism, married to a white person. No contest. <laughs> white person, confused victim. No contest. <laughs> it's and I even add, at least in my view, frequently, these conversations. They are not about learning and getting information about racism, white supremacy. Often it becomes entertainment. It's fun. Maybe there'll be an argument. I get to hear about a victim who's being sewered, which is not funny, but not entertaining either. But I'll get to hear about a victim being sewered and that type of thing. Or I'll get to hear a good old argument. Maybe some name. Coon, what do you mean? Talking about my white woman. Yeah, I'm talking about you, Coon. You with that white woman and you know, that's not we've had lots of victims on the program in tragic arrangements over our 12 year history. You can go back in the archives. I don't think uh, pursuing those type of conversations is going to help us solve the problem. In fact, one of my favorite quotes, if an onlooker looks at a wise person and a fool engaged in an argument an onlooker often wonders who is the fool. Yes. Yes. I'm a victim of racism, still learning, but I would much, 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 much rather talk to white people. Anywho, uh, quickly, I'll check in to see if any of the listeners have thoughts that they would like to share what they heard from Mr. Bailey thoughts on the OJ Simpson trial. If folks are still reading along, following researching or, and, or you can talk to your, if you have parents, if you have grandparents, aunts, man, if they are a little bit older than you, but I bet you could have some fat and particularly around the so-called holidays. If people are doing all that, I suspect you could have some fascinating conversations uh, about, you know, do you remember the trial? Did you watch the trial? Did you think he was guilty? What did you think about Marsha Clark? Blah, blah, blah. All of that. I suspect. And you'll find the people who watch, they probably remember all these people's names, like Christopher Darden, all that. This stuff was on TV for like a year. So they probably remember a lot of this. That's something that we've talked about being able to talk to particularly some of the older attempted family members talk about racism. This might be a great way because this is something that just so saturated uh, the culture for such a long time. Like you had to know some details about it. And for some people, like they really paid quite a bit of attention to all of this. So use it uh, as an opportunity to talk to share constructive information about white supremacy, racism, and then, read people who say that you know they struggle sometimes with reading or maybe have a difficult time finding books that they're interested in reading the oj simpson case is talk about cowbell i just said it's always so entertaining to talk about the cowbell aspect you got cowbells unsolved murder racist enforcement officers like drama on top of drama there are tons tons 
tons of books to read on this subject matter. You can read a bunch of them and kind of compare, be a detective and compare what this person says to what this person says and what they left out, the way they describe certain events like have an O.J. Simpson library. And in fact, you can add to Gus T's library. I am loving the prospect of talking to white people about O.J. Simpson. I have a few of the books on my Amazon wish list. Uh, Stephen Singular, in particular, a white man who also wrote a book on this trial, uh, would love to get his book. He talks about the white supremacy aspect specifically and the whitewashing of Mark Furman a 25 year effort because I think that's totally true I think if you like asked and checked around like Mark Furman is on on television regularly giving his views and not being questioned like you racist white supremacist what do you let me see your Christmas tree let me see the Nazi ornaments let me see it right now racist coming in here that's not the way he's it's what do you think about the election Mr. Furman what do you think about like he has a much better reputation than O.J. Simpson. Like, not even close. Not even perjurer. Mark. Nope. 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 Cool. Mark Furman. And in fact, if folks, he almost is restored to the reputation he had before the trial. In fact, like before all the tapes came out and everything, he went on the stand. He was labeled the hunkiest witnessed of the trial like that's the term that they used in everything like ooh, he is so attractive and look at those blue eyes and mm-hmm, that mark flippin Furman. anywho the wish list at amazon gusty renegade you can check it out the steve singer folks are looking to add to their libraries steven singular his book uh, on the LAPD, Mark Furman, white supremacy. Hopefully we can get him on the program and some of the other folks who have written about some of the other white people who have written about this case would be looking forward to it. Uh, folks have uh, any thoughts uh, they would like to share star six, one, the number seven, two, zero, seven, one, six, seven, three hundred. The code five, six, four, nine, four, three pound press star six, one. If you have any thoughts to share any of the folks uh, listening in what they heard from Mr. Bailey any thoughts uh, with the OJ Simpson case let's see folks I'm here. I'll give uh, a second or two we'll take a quick commercial break that way I can quench my parched throat and then we'll double check with callers listeners see if they have anything to share uh, if not we'll give a few updates what have you get ready to check out and we'll rejoin tomorrow to jump on Jeffrey Tubin's book I'm so excited even uh, Mr. Bailey had some thoughts to share on Tubin as well but we'll take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back see if folks have any concluding thoughts uh, so Grant member of OJ Simpson's notorious dream team as they say uh, on the broadcast, get a few of his thoughts on the trial, racism, white supremacy in general. Let's see. We will be right back. The cows. Is racism hurting you? On issues of race, are you unable to speak, think, and act with clarity and confidence? Are you tired of laughing when nothing is funny, smiling when you are not happy, agreeing when you really disagree?
counterracism.com, you can learn specific strategies and techniques to counter the behaviors of the people who practice racism in all areas of activity. Using words correctly, following counter-racist logic, even counter-racist science projects designed to reveal what racism is, how it works, and how to counter it. The open source code writing format allows you to pick and choose from a variety of counter-racist suggestions so you can produce the code that works for you. Stop by counterracism.com today and help replace racism with justice. That's counter-racism.com. Context of white supremacy. We'll double check, see if any of the listeners have any other thoughts they'd like to share before we move along. Just wanted to share. Folks had been saying, man, gosh, you should do a counter racist cookbook. And I scoffed at the notion initially, like that's crazy. There are already lots of, uh, veggie cookbooks, cookbooks in general, vegan cookbooks, like tons of those tons and tons and tons. Uh, and even black counter racist cookbooks, black vegan and vegetarian, uh, counter racist cookbooks. They already exist in great abundance. Uh, online, YouTube, like all kinds of formats, hard copy books, the whole nine. <clears throat> uh, but I, you know, thought on it more. And uh, I guess having the counter racist component, I think, is important. And then uh, just different things people were talking about. I guess people can can email until justice at gmail dot com. And people are serious because a number of folks, people, particularly the people that follow me on Facebook, Facebook dot com. The problem is white people. They deleted one of our Facebook pages. I guess I should make a new one. Uh, We have several, though, uh, the Facebook dot com group and then on Twitter, lots of places where you can follow and all that. But um, I post uh, pictures of some of the things that I cook up different meals and things. And I was thinking like, wow, I've eaten lots of really good food uh, this week. In general, I eat pretty good food. And I was thinking like, wow, I had on Saturday, I had cornbread, freshly made, of course, uh, and potato soup. That was spectacular. Uh, I had banana pecan pancakes for Sunday. Pancake day is fast becoming my favorite day of the week uh, until we replace white supremacy with justice. I have to make do with banana pecan pancakes. Amazing. Uh, I had uh, Thai peanut curry, which is always amazing. One of my favorites, but it was especially scrumptious this time. You refine your white people refine how they practice white supremacy, racism, which is probably why they were especially upset about the OJ Simpson verdict. They expect to convict black people. Mr. Bailey said they were expecting a guilty verdict, Uh, but refining the Thai peanut curry. It was especially yummy. And I had that with air fried Brussels sprouts. I love Brussels sprouts, but these were just perfect. Uh, I had, I made lasagna and I made a lemon velvet cake. I think it's the best cake I've ever had. Like I've been trying to refute that statement and it's just amazing. Um, but I eat really good things. Regu- oh, and I had yummy smoothies. I don't. I tend to ignore smoothies because I have really great, great smoothies all the time. But yummy smoothies in there, like uh, just eating really well in the midst of all the ugliness of this year and the system of white supremacy that has been one 
uh, saving grace to have quality food. And I've said that many times in life where things are bad to have quality food. If you, you know, are going through a special lot of stress and difficulty, it's much better for your system. And I think being able to respond, be, have some resilience. If you are are eating, consuming things that are going to bolster and strengthen your body, as opposed to things that are going to make you all heavy and tired and add on some pounds and, uh, detract from your health and well-being, uh, eating lots of uh, non-foods, food coloring and additives and processed foods and fat, sugar, not going to make things any better. Probably make things. We're trying to solve problems without creating new problems. We want to maximize that when it's time to eat not creating new problems with our fork. They had a a truck that turned over on the highway today that spilled. It had Cheetos all over the highway, they said. (sighs) Anywho, uh, but cooking has been phenomenal. I have uh, an emotion blender on my wish list. Really hooking up my kitchen to do more. Someone was saying I posted a picture of the phenomenal like absurd phenomenal lemon velvet cake and folks said you should have that at the next retreat I said Whew, that's would have to be way down the road once things have calmed down maybe 2020 will be better uh but yes if so lemon velvet cake for the retreat way down the road and i'll have my emotion blender to whip up all kinds of tasty things but eating healthy constructive nourishing food very, very important, uh, crucial aspect of counter racism, emotion blender on the wish list. Gus T renegade at amazon.com. You can invest in the cows, visit my blog. In fact, my review of Isabel Wilkerson's case, the origins of our discontents. It is on my blog. Uh, check it out. Racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com racism hyphen notes dot blogspot.com you'll see it'll be the very first post there uh the review uh reading is more important than watching television it's mandatory i have to write a review uh of mr tubin's book i think red in ohio said she already finished mr tubin's book write a review doesn't have to be super long but i think reading is so important we had a listener uh sometime back reading and writing uh and i think it's important just because uh, With racism in general, the O.J. Simpson case specifically, but with racism in general, uh, white people, they write so much and so skillfully use words to confuse non-white people. I think having more of us be active and particularly writing, getting better at using, because I think when you write, talk about refining, you get better with your use of words, with articulating yourself. Uh, Writing, I think, gets you in the habit of being critical about word use and really paying attention to make sure that you maximize your efficiency when you speak. Mr. Bailey is really good at that. Talking about Jeff Tubin getting his jollies <laughs> like uh anywho, but writing. Uh if you listen to the book club or really if you read are reading books in general, write a review. You never know. Some, uh, somebody might be out saying, Hey, I'm going to get, I'm looking to learn about OJ Simpson. Maybe I'll read Jeff Tubin's book, or I'm looking to learn about racism. Maybe I'll read Isabel Wilkerson's book. So they do their little search. A lot of times book reviews 
will pop up. They can read it and see what you have to say. And even if they still read the book, like if you think it's horrible, the way that I felt about case, which I do not recommend, even if they go ahead and read the book, they will have your critiques in mind. Write a review, but my review of case is on my blog, racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com. And then my PayPal button is there. Uh, you can invest cash app is linked cash dot app forward slash the cows much obliged for all the folks who have invested uh, a dozen years. Hope the cows has been continues to be worthy of your time and energy. You can follow on facebook.com forward slash the problem is white people on Twitter at until justice. All of that said, uh, we should be here tomorrow for uh, the book club. I can't say it enough times reading more important than watching television. Even the program for today and me changing my mind about the OJ Simpson trial, all from reading Mr. Tubin's book. Tubin is convinced, or at least, you know, he is dedicated to the narrative that OJ Simpson is absolutely guilty. Uh, I'd say that would be another one. You can even read books that are meant to deceive you, which is what I would have to say about Tubin. Mr. Bailey said that Jeffrey Tubin was giving out inaccurate information. Johnny Cochran flat out said that Jeffrey Tubin lied about him. I said last week that he was deliberately being deceptive uh, in giving the information about Jill Shively, uh, Jill Shively, suggesting that she is a credible witness. Uh, reading even reading books that are meant to be deceptive can be very constructive uh, if it makes your brain computer work and get you to do some research to verify the information that is being presented which is a tremendously healthy habit to have so I'm excited we're reading uh, Mr. Tubin's work and again that's the only reason we're reading this book right now is because he got caught zoom bomb of the year with his penis <laughs> that's the only reason the only reason that we're reading this book right now and end up chatting it up with Mr. Bailey and convinced O.J. Simpson did not kill anyone in 1994 if anything it has been disturbing for me uh, where I guess should be disturbing in a system of racism that Wow, even a black person, for those who say it's class, even a black person of tremendous stature with lots of coins and so-called white friends aplenty, that even he can be felled almost instantaneously out of where everyone thinks that he is guilty. Even if you're found innocent, we still think you're guilty and will punish you accordingly for the rest of your life. Like... That is the system of white supremacy. Like, why? And maybe even we punish some of the white people who helped you. I was going to ask Mr. Bailey if he had been called nigger lover in relation to this trial, but he said that they prostituted. What is this, the accusation? He prostituted himself for that nigger. That sounds a little harsher than nigger lover. Same thing, though. Uh, any other folks' comments that they wanted to? 
Make sure they get in 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61. If you have any thoughts, observations to share, anyone, thoughts or folks just listening in? Have you heard? Red in Ohio. So lots of thoughts. Um, I'm in, I'm very interested in reading um, Mr. Bailey's book. It seemed like Mr. Tubin's book was a completion of like maybe a little bit of facts. And I'm, I mean, like Mr. Bailey said that it was just based on what he heard and or what I guess what he choose to hear, which I can understand that now after reading the book, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, since Mr. Bailey was there. But um, it, especially the, the epilogue for Mr. Tubin's book was, uh, it was awful. Um, one of the things I will say about Mr. Bailey is that it didn't seem, unless I, I misheard, it didn't seem like he answered your question about the first use of race card directly. I don't know if that was maybe just with how he answered the question, if maybe that was just a, a way of him, you know, once again using the horrible word nigger because he said it was a horrible word, but then he used it in one of his question, one of his answers instead of actually just saying, okay, this is when I, you know, first heard the term or I've never heard the term, the race card prior to being on the quote-unquote dream team. But please correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm wondering in his book, because um, I learned in Mr. Tobin's book that Mr. Bailey, the risk between... Shapiro, I don't know, maybe I'll stop there. Is it all right for me to talk about this or don't say anything because of the book setting? Uh, If it was the book club, I would say we are out of chronology. But since it's not the book club, we're kind of because we kind of talked about the whole chronology today uh, with Mr. Bailey. Uh, Mm -hmm. I guess it's fine since, yeah, this is not the book club. Okay, so since there was like this rift between Shapiro and Cochran and um, F. Lee Bailey, that was kind of like mentioned in, uh, I think it was the epilogue. And basically I'm wondering because uh, Tubin, he had mentioned in the epilogue that Shapiro had testified against F. Lee Bailey um, regarding his case involving the the assets of the assets that Ashley Bailey was holding on to for Claude Dubach. Yeah, Claude Dubach. Um, who was one of the was known I guess as one of the biggest marijuana um, distributors and how he went to jail and I think this is back in two thousand and one or two thousand and two. And F.C. Bailey was assigned to hold on to his stocks and biochem. He didn't turn it over. At least this is what I read from Wikipedia. And then it's also mentioned in the epilogue of the book, uh, Tudin's book. 
and he did actually have to go to jail. So I'm kind of wondering if he's going to mention that in his book, if Effie Bailey is going to mention, you know, that case in his book, his personal case, because it kind of has um, some relevancy to the OJ, uh, you know, his part of being on the OJ trial and or being on the OJ uh, defense team and how, you know, Effie Bailey and Shapiro were, uh, I guess, were feuding or whatever. And so I'm curious to know if that's uh, involved. But I guess one of the other questions I was thinking about asking him, because there was a lot. uh, I'm Like I said, I'm only, I think I'm actually on Chapter 8 of Mark Furman's book and what Ashley Bailey had said in his question about when I was asking about, like, all the different evidence um, that Mark Furman was bringing up. He was correct as far as Mark Furman saying that, blaming it on everybody else, blaming it on um, Lang and uh, I just forgot his name, the other detective, and him kind of wanting to do things based on procedure, but the main detective not wanting to go by procedure because everyone was just so starstruck, and that's what I'm kind of getting from Tubin's book everything was mishandled, even Ito's um, handling of the case, it was so affected, and that's something that's repetitive throughout the book, it, it was so affected because of everyone being so enamored by OJ. And I never knew this, that OJ was that brand of an athlete or a celebrity or just a personality that, you know, no matter who he was involved with, everyone was just so starstruck and the laws of, you know, just regular laws or even racism didn't matter. So that's, that's kind of, you know, that was kind of interesting, but there was a question about that I wanted to ask about the jurors, like how did F.C. Bailey feel about the jurors? And I guess he kind of answered it when, when during his commentary, so they was going to ask him, did he feel like the jurors willfully um, disregarded evidence from the prosecutors because there's one part in Tubin's book where he claims that Marsha Clark, I think it was in the summation, she had put together this chart, really trying to spell it out for the jury. And then um, she had said, you know, feel free to take notes. And Tubin said, well, not one juror bothered to even lift a pen or anything. So I was wondering, you know, how much of that was true. Um, and <laughs> I don't believe Mark Furman, but I guess the, the approach that I'm taking with learning about the OJ case is trying to really, trying to read books or reading books rather from outsiders. And then I'm going to start reading books with, um, uh, by people who are actually involved with the case. So the prosecution, the defense, and then the jurors, I'm not quite sure which which group I'm going to read first. I'm trying to read, you know, the outside people. I'm probably going to read the uh, book by Vincent Bugliosi. I think that's how you say his name or say his name rather. So, um, and I will make sure to write a review because it is on Tubin's book because it's, uh, especially the epilogue. That's, that's, I think that's the culmination of where it's, it's the worst. Um, I'll meet my line. Thank you. 
Much obliged, Red in Ohio. Uh, I think all of the books that were mentioned, OJ absolutely, no doubt about it, did it. <laughs> like, uh, it is a string to find. And I wasn't even looking for a book that, you know, said OJ didn't do it. Like I said, I thought, yeah, everybody knows OJ did it. Duh. That was what I thought uh, going into this. So I just picked Jeffrey Tubin's. I didn't even know Jeffrey Tubin's book. Uh, he thought that he did it. I just thought I hadn't seen the FX series. I just knew it was the FX series. And, you know, OK, we'll read, read that one. But now I know all of these books. He did it, like no doubt about it. And then, as she said, they take turns, depending on which book you read, in terms of bling for who is responsible for why a guilty person was allowed to roam free uh, after killing two white people. Um, Stephen Singular, I think, is one of the few books uh, where it's wait a minute, OJ didn't do this. Uh, it's a few, a uh, few others. Uh, Vincent Joe, I think it's Joseph Busco. I have to look for a second, but it's like two or three. I mean, one hand, literally, I think uh, Laura, he mentioned, I have to give the other two names, but it's literally, you can count them on one hand. The number of books that are like, wait a minute, just looking at the timeline, looking at the evidence. OJ Simpson is not a cool fella, but it would seem it is not possible that he could have done these crimes. Uh, as for Tubin's book, uh, I can only say like, man, I didn't know anything about the OJ Simpson case. I didn't know anything about the FX series or Jeff Tubin for that matter. We picked this book after the zoom bombing incident. I said, Oh, the FX series. This is what it was based on. Boom, boom, boom. Start reading. We've only gotten about seven chapters into the book. Not very far at all. Like in the book, in the book, based on the chronology of what actually happened, we are at the grand jury phase. So we've got a whole year left of what actually happened left to go in the book. So we're pretty early. This is one of, it might be the first time like Johnny Cochran flat out said interview with Charlie Rose, Jeff Tubin lied on me. He said, or he wrote that I said, OJ Simpson was guilty prior to joining the defense team. That is a lie. And he further said, Jeffrey Tubin could have called me. He was right there in the courtroom. We went through this whole thing. He could have went and checked in with me. Did you say this? Blah, blah, blah. What was your view? He didn't do any of that. You heard F. Lee Bailey, what he had to say about Tubin's book. I mean, this is me. You heard me last week and said, hey, this guy is presenting deliberately false information. He references Marsha Clark's book in content or without a doubt, excuse me, uh, in the reference section for his book. So he knows Marsha Clark concluded it's not just that Jill Shively sold her testimony. It's that there is a history of her lying and in fact being taken to court and being proven to be a huge liar. There is a credibility problem here beyond just, oh, she sold her story for a few nickels. She's not a credible witness leave all that out that's like it's I cannot remember another book where this quickly and to have so many different sources myself Mr. Cochran Mr. Bailey all esteemed sources uh, saying wow this Tubin seems like he is lying and willfully it would seem willfully deceiving readers with a consistent bias towards OJ is guilty 
OJ is like willfully leaving out information or misrepresent flat out lying. That's what Mr. Cochran said, lying to convince readers that OJ is guilty. In addition to other folks pointed out, like Mr. Tubin uh, is among the, I think it was like four journalists who got assigned seats for this trial. Mr. Tubin uh, is one Dominic Dune is another who incidentally started helping Mark Furman write books to clean up his image as soon as this trial was done. And he also said from the very beginning, uh, oh, no, 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 I'm not a objective journalist. That Negro OJ did this <laughs> and held that view before the trial even started. So, you know, right on. Thank you for telling us. But, yeah, they the uh, people criticized Tubin. I've heard people criticize Tubin and say, hey, he had an assigned seat. He wasn't even at the trial every day. He had young children at that time, which information online bears that out. He had very young children at the time. He was having to be at home uh, and helping, you know, be an attempted father, I guess, so-called. Uh, so it wasn't like he was there every day attentively following all of this. Um, yeah, I've just, I've heard a lot of, of the principal figures who were involved with all of this who seem to be very critical of Jeff Tubin. Uh, in addition, uh, in terms of Mr. Bailey, I thought there were two really important questions that he didn't answer about why are white people so upset about this. He kept using the term Americans and then the race card. And I thought that was important too because that's one I really want to answer. Like, was it the O.J. Simpson trial? Like, even the case that he brought up that was important. Were they saying you're playing the race card, Mr. Bailey, saying that he's racist to this black guy? Like, were they saying race card in that case? Like, I didn't really he didn't answer that one. Uh, And I tried to go back, redirect and answer. Like I said, I had a bunch of questions, so I didn't want to bog down on that one. But, yeah, he did not answer that about the race card. I thought that was important. And why are white people specifically so bothered by the acquittal of a rental James Simpson? Uh, let's see. Oh, with, with the jurors, I think also the context is important. When I read my long list about why this is the most important trial in history, U S history, this is the longest jury sequestration in U S history. I think it was nine months or whatever it was. It was a really long time, um, to be in. This is a long time with no TV. If you can imagine, this is not just staying at a really nice hotel. This is no TV, uh, no radio, no newspaper. Like they'll give you edited newspaper clippings, no computer, no Wi-Fi. Uh, you can't talk to anyone. It's monitored phone calls. You get one day a week to visit. You can't leave the hotel. Like it was almost like being in jail in some respects. And you have guards like literally because you got guards, many of them white. Uh, who are outside watching you making you can't do this. You can't do that. So, I mean, if you, I, I can't even fathom being in that sort of experience for like nine months by the time you get to the end. I mean, they have articles in the paper where like, man, if the jury has not gone crazy, they should be crazy. Cause I would have been crazy by the time you got to get through all of this. By the time they got to the end they probably already had a decision made and were ready to roll. Like this was not something like, hmm, that did OJ do it? Like, let me out of here. The nigger did it or he didn't do it. Let's go. <laughs> wrap it up, wrap it up. Like, uh, And people have written that Judge Ito, I think, instructed the jury to have their belongings packed 
so that they could be ready to leave should they come to a decision each day. So uh, some people at least think that some of the instructions that they got about having their belongings packed, in addition to it had already been eight, nine months, whatever it was, longest sequestration in history. Let's get the heck out of here. Not now, but right now. <laughs> like uh, You've probably already come to a decision. And I think the trial uh, both sides rested on the last Friday in September. So they had the weekend to sit and think. And then they came together on Monday, the first Monday in October for the deliberations. That was uh, October 2nd for deliberation. So yes, they didn't take a long time, which all of that to say, there's no evidence against OJ Simpson anyway. So that's exactly what I said. We're going to play one round of cards, make this look good. And then not guilty which it seems like that's close to what they did, but they went and checked the limo driver's testimony to verify what they had said. Boop. Not guilty. Let's get out of here. Um, yeah, I could see lots of reasons why it would not take a whole lot of time to get this done. We've had a weekend to think about it. We've had a year basically <laughs> to hear all the testimony. Let's trying to go see my wife. I'm trying to get the heck out of here. I'm tired of OJ Simpson and everybody else. Uh, let's see. Retired firefighter in Florida. Did you have commentary to share, sir? Just listening. Greetings. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. I, I, uh, I didn't even know it was the program today. <laughs> uh, this is uh, not the book read, is it? No, no. We had F. Lee Bailey uh, on the program earlier. He was with us for uh, about 75 minutes. Uh, we talked about the case and what? his role <laughs> in the case and uh, why he still believes 25 years later that Mr. Simpson is not guilty, definitely was not involved in the crimes and all that should be in the archives. But yeah, I just thought like Friday or not Friday, sometime this weekend, um, I was thinking, yeah, like there are, you know, a handful of white people who think OJ Simpson did not do this. Like, let's see if we can talk to some of them. And Mr. Bailey has a website and said, let's get down. So came together pretty quickly. Well, I, I, I think the part and, and correct me if I'm wrong about what I'm about to say. I, I think the part when he, when he said in the trial to the racist, enforcement official uh when he caught him in a in a, in a lie about have you ever used the term nigger and uh, and uh, mr fuller said when he he said it he drew it out uh and uh he of course he 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 lied he lied and said that he didn't and then they played a tape uh did that did, did did he bring that up in the in the in the interview? Oh yeah, we talked that about all instance? that. Yep, he didn't. They didn't even mm-hmm. know about the tapes at the time, but he said that's one of the because uh, Mr. Furman is the only person we talked about. He's the only person who was convicted uh, related to the criminal trial, the people versus O.J. Simpson. The only person convicted is Mark Furman. He said that's. One of the things that he is proudest of uh, in 
getting that perjury conviction against Mark Furman. We talked about how they've kind of sanitized his record uh, over the past 25 years. So people don't really think of him as this vile racist. And he gave more information about that. Like, uh, yeah, we, we didn't get to cover everything I had on my list, but we got to cover uh, quite a few things. Uh, his, he said that, uh, he was exposed to white people like Mark Furman, probably where he got that pronunciation from. He said he grew up hearing people say nigger and he was in the military mm-hmm. uh, in the fifties. It's in the archives. Yeah. It's in the archives. Right. What, what, what it confirmed for me, including what we're reading is that white people know other white people. They know what it, they know what it means to be white and uh, the white code is is been transferable by osmosis almost for centuries, to where it's almost it's, it's it's like instinctive on how a white person's ability to practice the white code, and they use that to get to to uh, to expose uh, that particular uh, aspect of the trial because of course in a, in a, in a murder trial, it has to be, be, uh, what's, what's that term beyond suspicion, something like that. And, uh, I mean, that's all they needed. That's all they needed was, was Furman, <laughs> you know? And, and, uh, you know, I mean, and, and then basically what I'm hearing from, from you guys is that, you know, you, you guys are using science that from the standpoint of, you know, this guy, this guy couldn't, he couldn't kill no, these two people, you know, from that standpoint. And, uh, and what is good, what is good for me, because I was like, you know, on the fire department for about 13, 14 years when this trial was going on. And most, most of you guys w- were, were either little children or, or, uh, wasn't really paying attention to it at all. So, so you haven't been quote unquote poisoned so much to the issues on what it was 20 some odd years ago. And you're using logic and science to come up with your answers. And, uh, I find that quite interesting. Thank you. Uh, that fella says follow logic. That is what I would encourage everybody to do. Just follow the logic. Uh, Racist, they will dupe you and try to sell you. OJ killed them people. Yes, he did. Got his knife and drove that Bronco over there and chopped them people up. Yes, he did. Just follow logic. Now, how long do I think it would take to kill two able-bodied white people who are in good shape. And one of them is 20 years younger than I am in good shape. How long do I think it would take to kill them with a knife in what looks like a extremely gruesome scene? Uh, and apparently I might have taken some hits look like there's some defensive wounds on Mr. Goldman. How long do I think all this would have taken? Not immediate. Uh, and then leave the scene, clean myself up, shower, towelettes, whatever it is, lots of bounty, uh, clean myself up pretty good, clean up the Bronco pretty good too. It's not like they found pools of blood in the vehicle or anything. Clean that up pretty good. Get back to the residence, dispose of the knife so that it has never 
been located knife or knives in fact uh, the medical examiner said it looked like it could have even been two wounds two knives excuse me used so dispose of the weapon or weapons successfully and all of the clothes using dispose of all of that clean up park the car hop the fence drop the glove get back to the house by 10:50. be seen at 10:55 and ready to go by 11 o'clock like if you can do all of that if you think it's logical reasonable for a person to do all of that in 30 minutes even let's take let's take the prosecution's time timeline is it feasible that all of that can be done in 40 minutes and you can show up no blood stains not hurried no anxiety ready to roll and in fact be ready to start signing autographs within an hour of the time of the murders like do you think that's logical that's all just use your what does Dr. Wells say use your brain computer do you think that's logical and particularly now I said we let's we can start with the prosecution's timeline they say 1015 so that would give them 40 minutes to do all of this if their timeline is wrong which we heard from Mr. Bailey would seem logic would indicate their timeline is probably wrong if this is later now do we think it's logical that he could do all of that in 20 minutes 15 minutes we're being goofy like anything in that we're being goofy come on now come on now come on now like the Furman stuff and all that you know we can all of that is interesting but just the timeline alone is enough to come on now <laughs> got some see like you got to tell me something spectacular here to make this happen because this is just not not adding up correctly you just don't have enough logical time to get all of this done I mean I know juice is fast I've seen roots he was pretty fast 2,000 yards he was pretty fast not that fast not at 46 years old no way let's see any other commentary the book club tomorrow will have and the race card I'm so excited like it's the best timing ever we'll have F. Lee Bailey today and then tomorrow we're picking up Tubin's chapter the race card I think this is the point where Johnny Cochran becomes a part of the defense team we will have to listen very closely again Johnny Cochran he didn't say Jeffrey Tubin fudged a little bit he didn't say Jeffrey Tubin fibbed a little bit he didn't say Jeffrey Tubin uh, embellished he said Jeffrey Tubin lied Jeffrey Tubin said wrote and then doubled down on it because they put it in the FX series that's why I said that whole 10 part documentary or just oh, oh, sorry 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 not a documentary that whole 10 part uh, television show series lie um, is so dangerous uh, because they have Jill Shively in there oh I saw him the nigger almost ran me off the road oh my gosh I was so sad he was just had a face of rage oh murdering nigger uh, and then they get to come back and have Johnny Cochran I think it's the third episode is tight race card. I think is the name of the, is of the specific episode. They have Johnny Cochran. He's talking to uh, like a stage, someone who works behind the scenes doing makeup and all. And uh, she says, Oh yeah, he's guilty. He's guilty. He's a loser. And Johnny Cochran said explicitly, I never said that. I thought he was, uh, excuse me, innocent. 
I thought he was innocent from the Bronco chase to the final verdict. I thought he was innocent. I never thought he was guilty. That's what Johnny Cochran said. Uh, he said there's no, he didn't pull a witness. He didn't have anybody to step forward. Oh yeah. Johnny Cochran told me that OJ was guilty or he thought he was guilty uh, before he just he said that was total a lie. It was a total lie. Uh, he could have come to speak to him at any time to confirm or ask him about this or whatever. Um, we'll pay attention. Is that in the text tomorrow? Does he say anywhere in there? Uh, Johnny Cochran even stepped out and thought, oh, yeah, the Jews did it. Mm-hmm. They got him. See if that's in there. Johnny Cochran refutes it. Uh, and this is going to be a pattern. Uh, people accusing Tubin of lying as he presents information. And again, this is thought of as the book. If you want to understand the O.J. Simpson trial, it is said Tubin's book is the one to read. So. Good fortune. I'm glad we picked this one so we can go through and read and see. And I guess people can assess. We can think about that, too. It do do lots of black people. I think Thomas in New York and some other people said, man, it seems like a lot of black people for some reason now have been convinced that O.J. Simpson did commit these murders. I thought he committed these murders. He said it seems like they've been so successful. If that's the case, uh, the ESPN series, which I think is a documentary, but I think that one is also very uh, bias, probably deceptive that he did it. Uh, the FX series, they've had so much white supremacy propaganda over the past quarter century that it's, oh yeah, he did it. No count Negro OJ Simpson. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Come on, Mark Furman, our expert guest, come in and give us your commentary. <laughs> so he's not a perjurer and lying race soldier. No, 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 no. Mark Furman, misunderstood. Come here, poor fellow disgraceful uh any other comments folks want to make sure they get in looking forward for two oj days this week uh yes uh i the the i mentioned it on the program a while back and i, I don't i don't think what i was mentioning had nothing to do with the old day oj trial or not but i the last murder that i was on on an emergency call was a stabbing. Uh, unfortunately, it was a, a black female uh, that had multiple stab wounds. We, lo- we lost count after something like 10, 15. And that's the first thing myself and my other uh, co-worker was thinking about is the amount of time and energy that the murderer or murderers took to kill this person. You know, because it just it just seems that way. I'm not an expert on it, but it just seems that way based on what had happened to this this person that we uh, were called on uh, to come on a call with to uh, you know to try to basically resuscitate her or whatever. But uh, yeah, it it, it t- I mean it takes a lot of time and energy to, to do that, in my opinion. Uh, and also, uh, just about everything that, that you can do to a person who was ruled innocent of a murder trial that's incorrect and not to their best interest. They did it to Orenthal James. It's been, it's being done to Orenthal James Simpson. You know, his, whatever his reputation was, was pretty good before this trial. I mean, this murder case. 
uh, and uh, the lawsuit, you know, uh, uh, but he was smart enough. He was smart enough to put away a significant amount of his income so he could have basically, uh, as far as what looks like to me on the outside, that he, you know, has a pretty comfortable lifestyle. You know, if you can still go out there and golf almost every day, which is apparently what it seems to be in the newspapers with him doing, you know, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, other than that, you know, it, it's, it's such a negativity uh, with his name. And I think that contributes a lot to why people still think that he is he is actually the murderer of those two people. I think that has a lot to do with it because uh the press and other image makers that are controlled by white people have it that way. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. Yeah. He posts a lot of images of himself golfing. That's Wellsing moment too. So it looks like he does. And I think he has a pension or I know he does. They NFL players, all that CTE and brain damage. uh, They have a pension that uh, cannot be touched by any sort of suit or garnished or anything. So he has a pretty, uh, substantial uh, NFL pension and he should as he should he played a lot of years lots of brain damage so uh, yeah I think he has a somewhat comfortable <laughs> position on the plantation where he does get to golf a lot and that sort of thing which I'm happy to see but I mean <laughs> man like uh, as I said now with the understanding that I have that he did not it's not even possible following logic that he could have committed these murders like wow 25 years of unjust persecution Orenthal James Simpson even if you are well, they even said the system of white supremacy if you're a black person that's what black means guilty uh, let's see our female different female caller do you have commentary ma'am should be listening in yes um, good evening everyone um, I have a question um, I didn't really get to hear the full interview, I heard bits and pieces from F. Lee Bailey, but I was curious to know if Mr. Tubin was in the courtroom when that audio of Mark Furman was being played. Um, do you know, um, Gus? I have not seen the actual video because I think the entire trial is on YouTube in multiple spots but I have not seen that day when they actually played uh, the tapes to see who was in the courtroom Uh, I have seen him pop up in the uh, footage from time to time you'll see him sitting in the background at Dominic Dune but I haven't seen that actual day Um, in the how shall I call it the dramatization so called uh, the FX series where he's a consultant when they show that scene he is in the courtroom uh, that maybe that's true maybe it's not I'm not sure but uh, the FX series it shows him being present when they play that audio um, okay I was just curious because I think um, based on what I saw was that it, uh, when the audio was being played, I think the jury was not present. Right. So I was really curious who was present when that audio was being played because, I mean, 
I did not even know that audio existed. I was like, how did they get a hold of that? That was like damning. <laughs> to me, it was damning evidence um, against Mark Furman. And um, in the book, um, I find like almost like Jeffrey Tubin, the way he describes Johnny Cochran, it's almost like, what do you want to call him? I don't know, Mr. Fuller says um, not to use this term, but almost like he wants to call Johnny Cochran like an uppity nigger, basically. That's the way I see him describe Johnny Cochran in the book. Like, you know, he's from um, this, this, I guess, a, a poor background, and he, then he moved his family, and he saw these white kids um, living a certain lifestyle and he wanted that lifestyle. So that's how I guess he, that was his way of getting that lifestyle and um, painting Johnny Cochran as this person who I guess has some kind of vendetta against white people. Um, that's, that's what I, I read so far. Um, that's the gist of what I, I got from him. But I did not know that um, Johnny Crack, John, Johnny Cochran had said that um, he blatantly lied about about him saying that OJ was guilty. Um, yeah, I think that's that's all I have for now. I have to listen to the um, the what Leslie Bailey was saying in the um, archives. For sure, I'm. Uh... <clears throat> Glad we were able to get him on the program. Just think of Mr. Fuller, because I think they're about in the same generation. They're similar age group. Uh, Mr. Fuller, I think, is right at uh, 91, maybe 92. No, 91, I think. Mr. Fuller's right at 91. Mr. Bailey said 87. So they're right. Same kind of age group. Um, in fact, might even be interesting because Mr. Fuller talked about that. I think retired, retired firefighter had mentioned that when he... Mr. Fuller talks about the way he pronounced it. I was going to ask him just because I'm sure he uh, he probably remembers F. Lee Bailey back when Patty Hearst, that was the trial of the century before OJ and, you know, all the the Sam Shepard case and all those cases from way, way back then when most of us were not born, maybe retired firefighter. Um, but yeah, uh, Mr. Bailey's content will be in the archives. As for Mr. Tubin's work I have we haven't got to the portion yet I think it's tomorrow where Johnny Cochran will enter the book uh like in chapters eight and nine the race card all of that so uh we'll pay attention to the way that he talks about Mr. Cochran uh we've already or I know I've already talked about the way that he describes uh Mr. Simpson uh in the book uh and some of the commentary that I thought was anti-black uh it'll definitely be yeah to see if that's Johnny Cochran represented Reginald Denny white male white man who was beaten during the LA riots so how is how is Johnny Cochran some white hating bigot how is that possible and he represents Reginald Denny who was beaten by black people during the so called LA riots how is uh yeah how is Johnny Cochran out I'm out to stick it to them like get out of here um but yeah we'll pay attention we'll pay attention to how um Mr. Uh, Tubin describes Johnny Cochran and even if he mentions that because that's pretty important I think he, he Mr. Uh, Tubin in the series and in the book emphasizes the significance of the LA riots and that's one of the seminal uh, images 
Mr. Dental, the helicopter image of Reginald Denny being beaten with those bricks by a group of black male victims of white supremacy. That's one of Johnny Cochran's clients, most famous clients, I would argue, like Michael Jackson. O.J. Simpson, P. Diddy. He's got some other pretty famous people, but I mean, Reginald Denny, like I think most people know who Reginald Denny is. White guy being beaten during the he in fact he just got mentioned this year. The truckers were talking. They were saying with all the protests where they were going out and holding hands and blocking the freeway, there were truckers who said, Oh no, I'm not gonna be the Reginald Denny. We don't stop. Like people know who Reginald Denny is. His name was in vo- I had to post the article. I remember seeing it this year, but they said, Oh yeah, we're not stopping. You wanna get out there and Black Lives Matter? Psh, we will run you right down. Long live Reginald Denny. He, he did mention that white man. <laughs> did he, he, did he mention that Johnny Cochran the, uh, represented him? Yes. Oh, yes, okay. Yes. Okay. And he said that um, how it was black people that beat that white man, but somehow Johnny Cochran blamed the police, the white police officers, for the white man being beaten by black people. That's what he had said in the book. <laughs> that Jeff Tubin is something that Jeff Tubin is even when I'm representing a white person it's still just to find another tricky way of sticking it to the white man and the no count well hey F. Lee Bailey had quite a few things to say about the the, uh, LAPD and again all of this is in the context of not just Rodney King the Rampart scandal, which is the exact same thing. Enforcement officers being accused of planting evidence, even killing people, uh, beating up people, criminal activity, operating like a gang, supposed to be part of the anti-gang unit. Uh, All of that is happening simultaneously. And the assassination of Notorious B.I.G. at minimum that's another example of lame LAPD not solving a murder at minimum and depending on who you talk to off-duty LAPD office LAPD officers were accused of being involved in the killing of Christopher Wallace notorious BIG if not out and out pulling the trigger themselves so at and as I said at minimum another more sloppy police work where they don't catch anybody don't even have a suspect to my knowledge all of that is in context uh, of criticism, critique of LAPD. Maybe they are to blame for these type of things. When you have this level of systemic and ongoing criminal activity from LAPD might drive citizens a little haywire. We'll see how he represents uh, all of that in the text. Mr. Tubin. man, oh man, who knew who knew I had never even heard Jeffrey Tubin's name before he did all his penis exposure uh, online. And, and now all of this to go through and read and yeah, it'll be grand. Uh, and, and to research uh, this is a, he doesn't have footnotes within the text. That's something I complained of, about mightily while we read Isabel Wilkerson's case. Tubin doesn't have footnotes in the text either. And that same thing, that is uh, for me not helpful at all you can be really deceptive and people can't really go back and verify well where is this at where'd you get this information from did you talk to someone did you talk to Johnny Cochran to verify that he said oh yeah I thought OJ Simpson was guilty (laughs) way back like where did you get that from are you just making this up like 
yeah we will we will pay great attention as we continue reading the run of his life the people the oj simpson mr uh Jeffrey Tubin, who I think is still employed with CNN. Like they didn't even give him a pink slip after all of this, like, uh, still in good standing, uh, folks, anything else folks satisfied? I just want to mention something real quick. So I started working and I was at work recent, like last week or so. And two of my coworkers were talking and they were talking about getting on a, one of them was talking about getting on a red-eye flight, and he said he was hurrying or something like that. And the other white man said, oh, you were pulling the OJ, <laughs> right? And I was like, how did OJ drop in this conversation? And then he directs his question to me, and he says, oh, did you know that OJ Simpson's name is Orental? J. Sim- Orental? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I knew that. He's like, oh, oh. Did you know before the trial or after the trial? And I was like, that is so interesting. I'm reading this book right now. And how did, like, how are we still talking about OJ when nobody was talking about OJ? I find that very fascinating. That's it. That's what I wanted to share. Hey, OJ Simpson is always in season. Uh, oh, this is the book I, I was mentioning. So, uh, a verdict, the Chronicle of the O.J. Simpson trial by uh, Linda Deuce, Deuce, D-E-U-T-S-C-H. Uh, she covered the trial. I don't know if she had an assigned seat, but that's the one Mr. Bailey recommended. If she if people want to check it out, seems she uh, may have uh, concluded that Mr. Simpson was innocent. But I haven't read this one, so we'll have to see. Uh, but Mr. Bailey recommended this one. Uh, and I'll see if I can, do I have time to get the other one really quick? A problem of evidence. That's it. Is is it Joseph Busco? Did I get it right? Yes. Joseph Bosco, B-O-S-C-O. Joseph Bosco, a problem of evidence. How the prosecution freed OJ Simpson. Um, yeah, that was another one that might be worth uh, checking out. I think uh, Donald Freed. Also, these are like four that maybe, and I'm not even sure that all of these think OJ is innocent, but these are like maybes. Killing time. Uh, that one, I think that one does. That OJ didn't do it. Donald Freed, uh, I think he worked with his wife in getting that one together. And it was just the same thing I said, following logic, looking at the timeline. Does he have time to do these murders? The answer would seem to be unequivocally no. A logical person wouldn't have time to do this in this short window. And you know, we could have moved on and found a different suspect and OJ could have been still making movies and great reputation. Uh, I can only say I'm not surprised about white people finding a way to break up OJ Simpson, especially not this year. They had so many 25 year uh, specials and court TV and the FX series was so popular. OJ Simpson is kind of always in season. Uh, so yeah, I'm not really surprised. And that's such a tacky comment. Like you were, uh, on some red eye doing something mischievous, which again, even Jeffrey Tubin didn't disclose fully in Marsha Clark's book. She talks about how the police lied on the search warrant and trying to say that, Oh yeah. OJ Simpson absconded late at night, tried to disappear. to Chicago. No, he had planned to be in Chicago 
way in advance, had planned a limo to pick him up uh, in advance. Also, that's another thing. Am I going to go to commit a murder when I know I have got a flight to catch in 30 minutes and a limo driver who's going to be here looking for me when I might be covered in blood and ditching my knife at clubs like... Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised to hear about that. You're going to get the flight is up, oh, pulling the OJ, probably smuggling drugs or doing something nefarious. That's what you black people uh, do. And then did you know that was his name before or act like you're just some dumb, ignorant black person? And yeah, you probably just learned that yesterday or five minutes ago. Like, yeah, doesn't get any better than tacky. You can learn a lot. That's why I said this case is the most important in U.S. history. You can learn a lot about what it means to be white. Just studying how white people talk about the O.J. Simpson case and or just O.J. Simpson, period. That fascinating. If they want to talk about the FX series, fascinating. You can just listen, maybe ask questions. What did they think about F. Lee Bailey? What did they think about Mark? (laughs) Listen, ask questions. The O.J. Simpson case provides a wealth of opportunities to learn about racism, the white classification, one and the same, really. With that, we'll be here tomorrow, so-called Christmas Eve, the race card. I am bummed. I wish Mr. Bailey had answered that question clean. Like, is the O.J. Simpson case, is that the first time the race card, the term race card is used? But, oh, well, Uh, today December 23rd, 2020. We'll be here tomorrow, December 24. Jeffrey Tubin, the run of his life, normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Much obliged for the folks tuning in. Hope it was worthy of your Wednesday evening. Uh, I know a lot of folks said they didn't even didn't even know we were going to be on. Uh, didn't even see it. It came together so quickly uh, to have Mr. Bailey with us this evening. The archive should be working uh, and pristine, ready to roll uh, in a few moments. Uh, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy you do not want to have your brain computer impaired by white people's narcotics and then find yourself accused of something that you didn't do or whatever else you want to have full functioning brain computer so that you can make logical choices, try to keep yourself as safe as possible, especially this time of year. They'll probably have those uh, sobriety checkpoints and what have you. So Mark Furman and what have you. Let me let's get you breathing this here <laughs> and all the rest. So you can avoid all that. Be sober. Uh, in addition, uh, I would say hunker down. Uh, it's been a dangerous year uh, for many reasons. If you don't have to go out, uh, why take the risk? Uh, if you are going to go out, be very alert. Uh, be mindful of what's happening around you. If it looks like white people are getting loud, rowdy, could be hostile, no chances taken 2021. It's been a very dangerous year. Let's get out of there. We can talk. Uh, we can attempt this at a later time and date. Uh, you do not know if this person who's being loud is armed. You don't know if they have 10 or 20 other people with them who are also armed. No reason to take chances. Uh, we're sober. Generally hunkering down, but if we got to go out, we are very sober. We are very alert. If you are driving, you are not on the cell phone. 
Uh, we need to be mindful of what's happening around us. And we are trying to minimize contact with the Mark Furman's of the known universe. Just doing the small things to minimize the likelihood of, uh, you know, being harassed, accused, shackled, beaten, etc. Buckled, sober, hands at 10 and 2. There you go. Doing the small things. With that, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person, no name calling. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.